Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today our scripture is Mark 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. That's probably important. All right. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, so this storm in our Bible story today took place on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time nearby the sea doing his ministry, and it's the setting of a lot of Bible stories. But uh, just so you can be aware, the size is pretty small compared to normal seas. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, and the maximum depth is 141 feet. So I, when I learned that and learned, like, the storm, I was like, well, how bad could the storm have really been, like... It's the size of, like, the river in my hometown, right? But well, it's probably a lot bigger than the river in my hometown. That's dramatic. But, uh, <laughs> but like, how bad could this storm have been? Like, let's look at the Red Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. And they are so much bigger, and it's much more believable that a giant storm could take place. But interesting fact, it is the second lowest sea in the world. The first is the Dead Sea, of course. But the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea sea level, and it's inside a valley. And so it's the perfect condition for just like storms to just suddenly come in and take people by surprise and cause utter chaos. So it sounds like a really small sea to have a storm on, and like maybe the disciples are being dramatic, but it's actually like a pretty serious storm. I read a description that said, a boat on this lake can get tossed around like a child's toy, which sounds pretty intense to me. I would not want to be out on that sea during that storm. Um, And storms are even like really scary on land, not just the sea. Like unless you're watching the movie Twister and then suddenly you feel invincible to everything and you're ready to chase a storm. But in real life, that's not how it works. Storms cause flooding, they damage homes, they can hurt people or animals, and they can cause so much damage to everything in their path. I remember one year, I grew up in Illinois, and we get a lot of tornadoes there. And I was in middle school, and we were in the hallway during a tornado for what felt like hours and hours, just like ducking and protecting our heads. And we finally get permission to go home early, and our parents take us home, and I'm riding in the car with my mom, and there are trees down in the road, there's flooding everywhere, shingles, are all over the place because like the strong winds pick them up off the houses and just throw them 
There was patio furniture in really strange places where you don't normally see patio furniture and like a lot of broken cars from branches and all that kind of stuff. But, and that's not even like, the pool at Olivet, my, the college I went to, got destroyed. They got a pool again like 20 years later after I left the university, which is kind of sad. But anyways, that's not important. <laughs> but that's like even just a little amount of damage that a tornado can do. Like it didn't pick up homes. There, weren't any, there wasn't a death toll. Like it was a small storm and that was just on land. So I'm like imagining like a storm like that, but out on the sea in a boat and then Jesus is asleep. That would be a little extra unnerving, huh? Uh, so the disciples were not just being dramatic. They had a very good reason to be afraid. So usually, this story is a story where there's great danger. There's this big giant storm and they're in danger. And then there is rescue in this story. But usually this story tends to be told like it's a fairy tale. Like, Snow White was under a sleeping curse, and then the prince came and saved her, and they lived happily ever after. But in this story, it's the disciples were in danger on a boat, and Jesus saved them, and then they lived happily ever after. Yay, Jesus! That's kind of how this story is usually told, isn't it? And while, like, that's true, like, yay, Jesus, uh, he saved them, they were in danger, that's only a part of the meaning. So I want to go a little bit deeper into that story so we can hear what the original listeners were hearing. Um, the Gospel of Mark uh, is written to a group of believers. So let's keep that in mind as we're thinking through this story today. And they probably would have noticed some similarities between this story and other stories that they had heard growing up. Like maybe... They might have remembered Jonah, who instead of going to Nineveh, got on a ship and went in the exact opposite direction, disobeying God, and a great storm came to haunt the boat until he had them throw him out of the boat, and then eventually a fish came and swallowed him up and took him to Nineveh to give him a second chance to uh, complete the work God called him to. They might have remembered the Israelites coming out of G Egypt and how they came to the Red Sea and looked behind them and saw Pharaoh's army and they were stuck without boats. And then God parted the sea so that they could get across to safety. They might have also remembered the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It was all dark and empty until God created. Maybe they even thought back to, Joan, or to Daniel and the monsters who came from the sea. So they're not only uh, being reminded of these old stories that can be a little bit scary in the first parts at least. Um, they are thinking about the word storm. And the storm word is not translated well enough for us to really get the, the depth of it. Like in the original language, storm was not just like a destructive weather pattern. It was 
had, it had demonic overtones. So it was a lot more intense than that. So uh, it wasn't just weather, wasn't just a fear of drowning, which I'm sure that they had like fears of both of those things, but it also symbolized evil and darkness to them. So when there was this storm brewing, while they were out on the Sea of Galilee, not only were they concerned about the literal weather and water, but also the symbolism surrounding the sea that they had known their whole lives and the fear that it carried in them. They cried out to Jesus, not only because they had a fear of being out on the boat in a valley with a big storm, but because of the evil and darkness surrounding them. And maybe you have a similar situation like that. You feel like the evil and darkness has surrounded you with a lost job or a broken relationship, a mental or physical health problem, the loss of a loved one, feeling helpless or overwhelmed by the evil that's in the world. And you are left wondering, God, are you there? Are you awake? Do you even care? In our story, when Jesus wakes up, he rescues them. And the power of God is shown in a miraculous way. In this moment, we are reminded that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, and it's moving, and it's making things new. And the same power is what created the world from darkness and waters. It rescued the Israelites from slavery and helped them cross the Red Sea. It rescued Jonah from the waters and gave him a second chance. It's the same power that offers love and forgiveness to everyone. It welcomes the strangers, heals the sick, raises the dead, and calms the storm. It has authority over the demonic forces, over darkness, and over evil. So the purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to show Jesus as the embodiment of the kingdom of God and to invite the people to follow him as they anticipate his final coming and renewal of all things. So Mark opens in chapter 1 with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And then in verses 14 and 15 it reads, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus announced the kingdom's coming, and he also incarnated its presence. Jesus is the king. He's the descendant of the King David. He's the Messiah. So he is anointed to save the world. And he came into the world to usher in God's kingdom. And we see that in the things that he says and does. He healed the sick. He made the blind see. He raised the dead, multiplied resources, welcomed the outcasts, calmed the storm, plus like a whole host of other things. So he is announcing the kingdom of God in his words and teachings. And we get a glimpse of what the fullness of the kingdom of God will look like in, those, in the final coming and the final renewal of all things in these small acts that Jesus is doing on earth. Those who receive and participate in the kingdom of God are the disciples of Christ. And when we read about the disciples, 
we are not only reading about the disciples who were physically there with Jesus in the story long, long ago, but we are also reading about the whole church community during space and time. And when we read about the disciples, we are also reading about ourselves. So I wanna challenge you guys as you are reading your scriptures and hearing the stories that you picture yourself as the disciple and kind of take that, take that stance on to learn the story and take it in. When the disciples witness the power of Jesus, we are witnesses of that power too. When they spread the good news of Christ and the kingdom of God, we are also inspired to do the same. When Jesus rebukes the disciples, which he does a lot, uh, we also stand convicted. And when the disciples are a bit dense and don't understand, which is a lot also, or even when they betray or abandon Jesus, Jesus forgives them. And then in those times, we are faced with God's forgiveness and love in our own journeys of being a disciple. So it is good news that even though we fail, Christ forgives us and still invites us to follow him. The good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus constantly forgives and offers that invitation to be his disciple. When Jesus rescued the disciples from the storm, we see God's kingdom in our world. Jesus took on the role of defeating forces of evil and darkness as the storm raged and the waters crashed. He didn't run away like Jonah. He confronted the evil and darkness. Of course, he did that after his nap. And congratulations, Jesus, for sleeping in any situation. Some nap goals for you guys. But... Uh, I was thinking maybe Mary and Joseph like took him out on a boat when they were trying to get him to go to sleep. Like how we take babies out in cars to get them to fall asleep. So it's just like a naturally comfortable situation. Anyways. <laughs> so when the disciples were terrified and probably frantically trying to maneuver the boat to safety, they woke him up and asked, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. This command or rebuking, because remember the storm has overtones of demonic forces, um, is powerful imagery demonstrating Jesus's power over evil and darkness in the world. God's kingdom is active in the world and it is bringing peace hope, and redemption, even to the darkest of places. And after this command of peace, hope, and redemption, Jesus turned to them and said, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Which kind of sounds, kind of sounds harsh. And scholars suggest that a better way to phrase this question to catch the original language's meaning is, why are you afraid? Do you not yet trust God whose rule is present in me? And remember the Gospel of Mark was written to an audience of believers. So this question moves the believing readers to have faith in Jesus, to keep having faith, and to trust that he is at work in the world, even when things don't look great, like it probably didn't look great in that storm. It's a nurturing question. It's not meant to be 
shameful. So I kind of, when I usually read this, I kind of read it as like, oh, like the disciples just got burned. Like (laughs) Jesus is being a little harsh, right? But no, it's supposed to be a nurturing question, not one that's imparting shame. So he's attempting to bolster them and remind them that he's ushering in the kingdom of God because God's authority over evil is also Christ's authority over evil. So Jesus was with the disciples, going about normal activities, boating on the sea, and suddenly there were these forces of evil surrounding them, like the storm in this case. But at other times, they battled demon possession, sickness, angry men plotting, powerful men capturing Jesus, soldiers crucifying Jesus. And Jesus responded, by calming the storm, loving his enemies, healing the sick. He died on the cross and rose from the dead victoriously. He has authority over evil, and his authority is sometimes shown in ways we don't expect or understand, like submitting to death on the cross and then rising from the dead. Probably pretty unexpected. And then the disciples witnessed many amazing things with Jesus. They heard him teach regularly. They were with him all the time, but still needed this nurturing nudge to remind them. I'm sure that they had tons of questions all the time, and they were processing a lot, and maybe like in disbelief, like hitting themselves in the face. Like, is this happening? Like, what just happened? They're probably like, what? All the time with Jesus. And then even after this, this question Jesus asks, the disciples were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They are in awe and are still curious about who he really is, even after this whole situation. And he says pretty basically who he is. And they're like, who is he? (laughs) And we might be reading this and thinking, get it together, disciples, come on. But don't we also do this? Don't we also witness miracles every day and then turn around a minute later and wonder, where is God or what is he doing? And um, we start to question the character of God right after we see something amazing that he is doing in the world. Yet Jesus still invites the disciples to follow him. The disciples who are with him and the disciples who are us. He invites us even when we maybe aren't using our brain totally or we are ignoring things or we're processing a little slower than expected. Jesus still invites us to follow him. Discipleship, or following Christ, is an ongoing process where we are learning more and more of who God is and learning to trust him. God is patient, and he nurtures us in this process, just like he did with the disciples. You are the disciples of Christ. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And there are waves and wind and darkness and evil will come your way. You will face the powers of evil as you daily give yourselves to Christ, following him and living the kingdom way. 
And you'll have storms like depression or broken relationships, financial hardships, loss, sickness, struggles at work, or feeling overwhelmed and helpless by the evil in the world. And as we face these storms, may we all remember that we are not alone in the boat, and that Christ is with us, and that his sleeping is not a lack of care. He has authority over evil and darkness, and he even silences violent weather. He rises from the dead and raises others from the dead, and he is coming back to make all things new. So we call out to Christ in those times, and his response nurtures us. He invites us to trust him and remember that he is victorious in everything, that his kingdom is here, and one day the fullness of the kingdom will come, and then there will be no more storms or pain or evil or tears. Communion is a time to remember the victory of Christ over evil and darkness. So as we receive communion today, may you remember the power of Christ who has authority over evil and is present with you in your storms. My friends, this is the Lord's table. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, you are welcome here. To this table come people who have much and people who have little, people who are strong and people who are weak, people who know much about God and people just beginning to learn, people who have come to church all their lives and people who are here for the first, first time, people who know they are blessed and people who aren't quite sure because this is not our table, it is the Lord's table. And the same Jesus Christ who died for all people welcomes all people to come and see and taste that God is good. Communion is a reminder of what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. The God who created us is the God who forgives us and takes care of us. The God who calls us to wholeness and everlasting life with Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit here and now, as we share this bread and this cup, we celebrate the love that binds us to one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so it is that all who trust Jesus, whether a little or a lot, and want to trust him more, are invited to come and be part of this feast he has prepared. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.